Welcome to Is It Halloween Yet? Episode 23, a spooky little podcast where we talk about all things horror and ask, is it Halloween yet? I'm afraid not ghouls, ghosts, and goblins. It's 195 days until Halloween. I'm your ghostess, Spencer. Let's see what we've got on the slab this week. We've got some tasty horror news from the past week, and then we'll talk about Ty West's newest flick, X. We've only got a little bit of smattering of video game news to talk about, so let's get right into it. The action-adventure game Hell Is Us, developed by Rogue Factor, was announced last week. Expected in 2023, the game is about the human violence and its perpetual cycle fueled by human emotions and passions, according to Jonathan Jacques Batet, creative director at Rogue Factory. The game centers around a country embroiled in a civil war. And then there's the arrival of supernatural creatures that are unfazed by modern weapons. You have no map, no quest markers, no compass. You have to follow your instincts to figure out the mystery of how they showed up in your world. The game will be headed to Xbox Series, PS5, PC via Steam, and Epic. And like I said, expected in 2023. Next up is Oxide Room 104, developed by Wildsphere. The survival horror game, you find yourself waking up in a bathroom of blood and you must survive. Along with the typical, your choices have consequences, breaking, branching gameplay. There's a fun mechanic where if you die, you lose some of your body parts and your sanity. That sounds fun. The game is headed to Xbox One, Xbox Series, PS4, PS5, Nintendo Switch, and PC via Steam sometime in May. This next game is kind of interesting looking. I like the art style of it. It's called Papercut Mansion. It's being developed by Space Lizard Studios and published by Thunderful Games. It's a roguelite where you die and quest and die and quest, but you get to put evidence on an evidence board every time you die so you can help yourself solve the puzzles and the mysteries of the mansion. It'll be headed out soon on Xbox Series, Xbox One, PS4, PS5, Nintendo Switch, and PC via Steam. That game is really interesting to me. I love the papery drawn art style. I think will be interesting to see how scary it can be. The next big horror game out is Evil Dead the Game. Game Informer, following up on their April cover story, showed us some Deadite gameplay. The video shows all different kinds of Deadites, the different types you can play as, quick overview of the different powers they all have and which ones are good for these types of gameplay and other types of gameplay. And it really seems like there's a wide style of play, which I wasn't expecting. I don't know why. It looks great. Every time I see this game, I'm more and more impressed with the choices they made. There is a pretty cool mechanic where for short periods of time, they specify in the video, depending on the build that you make, it like lengthens or shortens how long this is. You can actually possess the other team's players, which just feels like chaos. And chaos is what I want when I play Evil Dead the game. The camera controls look really cool when you're playing the Deadite. It really feels like you're running through those parts of the movie. Oh, another thing I thought was interesting that they pointed out was the map is huge. So that gives the team of survivors time to kind of like in a battle royale game, pick up different weaponry to defend themselves against the Deadite. It will be interesting to see how this game is balanced as it goes on, but I feel like in the beginning, the Deadites might be a little bit overpowering. But we'll see. It looks fun. It looks great. That game will be hitting all the standard platforms out now. 
on Friday, May 13th. And you can catch me playing it on Twitch on Friday, May 13th, and probably for the several weeks after. The next game we're talking about is the Dread X Collection from Dread XP. We've talked about this collection a little bit in the past, so I'm not going to get too deep into it. It's a collection of 12 horror indie games from some of the best indie horror people. And we find out the release date. It is finally headed to Steam on May 3rd. Not that far off. And in our last bit of horror news this week, V Rising, the Sunlock Studios open world vampire game, will enter Steam early access on May 17th. There's currently an open beta going on, which you could participate in, but I am very excited to see it once it hits early access. I am probably not going to play it even though the game really does intrigue me. I like to experience his games when they're finished. I'm very sensitive to bugs. They put me in a bad headspace for a game. So I want to give V Rising as much time to bake and cook. And the devs say they're not done developing. They've got plenty of exciting ideas regarding what to do next, they said, which could mean adding new places to explore, more lore to discover, improving and refining current regions and inhabitants. So I kind of want to wait till this game comes out of early access or is in early access for a while. If you like vampire and you like open world games, this game looks like it's the game for you. So that will come out May 17th. Less interactive, but still filled with scares. Let's look at this week's TV news. AMC dropped an interview with the Vampire teaser trailer. We got the first from the massive collection of Anne Rice properties that AMC has required. The short 30 second trailer shows us a gorgeous New Orleans mansion and the coffins we have to think that Lestat and Louie are sleeping in. I'm excited to see the show. I have come around on it. I have not always agreed with Anne Rice and how she handled fan interactions and criticisms specifically in general, but Interview with a Vampire was a very profound book in my young spooky life. So... I am very excited to see the show and how this incarnation of everyone's favorite vampire is going to be. This morning while I was compiling the list of stuff together for the show, there was a second trailer posted yesterday from AMC that gives us a sneak peek at more of New Orleans and the ending shot is closing in on the back of Lestat. It says fall 2022. We'll be getting that this fall. I'm very excited. Maybe that can be the show that I watch instead of American Horror Stories so I can stop torturing myself with American Horror Stories, but we'll see. Also, we got some news from Hulu about the miniseries Candy. The official synopsis reads, Candy Montgomery is a 1980s housewife and mother who did everything right. Good husband, two kids, nice house, even the careful planning and execution of transgressions. But when the pressure of conformity builds within her, her actions scream for just a bit of freedom with deadly results. The show is based on a true story. It's a true crime thing. So I'll have to research how people think about feel about it before I make the ultimate decision on whether I will watch it. Uh, Jessica Biel stars as Candy Montgomery. Melanie Linsky, Pablo Schreiber, 
Hey, Master Chief, how you doing? Timothy Simons and Raul Espizar round out the cast. It's a five-part miniseries that will start on May 9th, and the finale will be on May 13th. In a weird kind of probably planned, but it still feels a little weird, the real-life murder took place on June 13th, which was also a Friday in 1980. This next story is a big one. It is not necessarily a happy one or good news. Frank Lingalia has been fired from the fall of the House of Usher. Lingalia had been cast to portray Usher patriarch Roderick Usher. The firing came after Netflix made an internal investigation into his conduct and found that he had been inappropriate with other cast members. TMZ is reporting and Deadline is confirming that these reports are allegations that revolve around sexual harassment of female cast members. There were several incidences, including inappropriate comments and inappropriate jokes that happened after inappropriate touching during scene rehearsals. I mean, that's just wild. Uh, The role is going to be recast. Netflix had no comment. Lingalia's rep had no comment. Mike Flanagan's had no comment. But good on Mike Flanagan and good on Netflix for running a tight ship and not allowing this kind of behavior on their sets. It sucks that we may see this slip and that's unfortunate, but just don't be gross to each other. You would think an 84-year-old man would know don't be gross to each other. But he didn't. He's been fired. As soon as we get news of who's been cast to replace him, you'll know. This is our last little bit of TV news. Dead Boy Detectives is coming to HBO Max, starring George Redexcu and Jaden Revere. The characters have showed up already on HBO in Doom Patrol, and they originally were origin-storied out of Sandman number 25. There's no release date yet. It's in its early stages, but I'll keep you posted. Big screen thrills are headed our way. Let's see what's happening in movie news. Post-quarantine seance film Burnouts follows a group of grieving teens who gather together to bond and heal. When a seance happens at this party, it leads to a situation where anything can and does happen. Starring Sierra McCormick, the film will be directed by screenwriter Tim Donner. The Chinese Thai disaster film The Lake showed off its monster in the latest trailer. That monster was designed by famed artist and monster creator Jordu Schnell. You may remember him from the Cloverfield monster. I'm blanking. I know Cloverfield is the big one that he did, but he's done a bunch of them. The monster was brought to life by practical effects and life-sized animatronics. We got life-sized animatronics like Jurassic Park up in here. And CGI. The film will be released on August 18th in Thailand and no word on whether there will be a worldwide release. But I am hoping so after seeing this trailer. It looks fantastic. Those effects look great. Um, it looks like a huge monster disaster movie, which you all know I love kaiju movies and, and this, I am down. I want to see it. I hope we get to see it sooner rather than later here in the States. Speaking of foreign horror, let's talk about the Spanish film, The Passenger. Bloody Disgusting is teaming up again with Dark Star Pictures to bring The Passenger to the United States. The film will be hitting select theaters on June the 3rd and hitting VOD and DVD on June 28th. The official synopsis of the film reads as a group of strangers sharing a ride has their trip interrupted when the driver hits a woman hiking in the dark of night. They decide to help her but quickly learn that something is wrong and they shouldn't have let her in at all. Sounds spooky. We've been we've talked about this film a couple times. I 
am very excited to see it. Everything I have seen out of film festivals, people have been super impressed with it. And the fact that Bloody Disgusting and Dark Star are teaming up like they did with the last matinee. You should go see that film if you have not. It's very good. Gives me even more hope that this film is going to be great. David Lynch is throwing cold water all over the idea of him debuting a film at the Cannes Film Festival. Lynch told Entertainment Weekly, I have no new films coming out. That's a total rumor. So there you are. It's not happening. I don't have a project. I have nothing at Cannes. It's unfortunate. It's got it's got buildup that people thought, oh, that'd be nice. But there is something new, but it's not mine. I don't know whose it is. There's always something new at Cannes, and they don't say whose it is. And some people thought maybe it was my film, but it's not. So we'll see, and we'll wait, and we'll see whose it is. We had reported last week that he was going to have the film there, that it might be an extra-long cut of Wisteria, the series that he is doing with Laura Dern, but according to the man himself, that is not happening. So we will only have one very weird sci-fi horror to look forward to at Cannes, and we will be talking about that in a few minutes. Shudder announced that it will be the home of Robert Jabber's The Sadness. The Taiwanese film was shot in Thailand and follows a couple who is trying to reunite as the city is overrun with a plague that causes people to become deranged, violent sadists. I think everybody knows this film because it is the film that got genre film festivals to engage in the practice of having trigger warnings. It was so disturbing. Go into that knowing that this is a very exploitative, hard, dark horror movie, not for the faint of heart. The film will be coming to the streaming platform on May 12th. And you will be able to find my reaction here on the following week's podcast. It will be the 17th thereabout. You can always check Twitter to find out what the next movie or Instagram. I usually announce it on the Wednesday or Thursday before. So yeah, I'll definitely be covering the sadness. I've heard nothing but glowing reviews out of it from people who enjoy those kind of exploitation horror movies. So Robert Eggers doesn't know if Nosferatu will happen. One of the most depressing stories of the week for me. In an IndieWire interview for the North Bin, he states, dude, I don't know, it's fallen apart twice. And I've been trying to get the word out because the word did carry that Harry Styles was going to be in the movie. I want to be clear that he was going to be Hutter and not Nosferatu himself. I've been trying so hard, and I just wonder if Murnage Ghost is telling me, like, you should stop. Please don't stop, David Eggers. I would love for there to be a modern Nosferatu. I think we're getting the one with Doug Jones as Nosferatu. Not good enough. I wanted the Robert Eggers version of Nosferatu. Love Lies Bleeding is Rose Glass's follow-up to St. Maud. The film will star Kristen Stewart and is said to be about a romance fueled by ego, desire, and the American dream. The Hollywood Reporter is saying that the film revolves around the extreme qualities it takes to succeed in the competitive world of body film. Just like St. Maud, the film is being produced by a 24. I can't wait. She's one of the filmmakers. I am so excited to see what she does next. I just watched St. Maud a couple weeks ago and I haven't stopped thinking about that movie since I saw it. It was just so beautifully made and shot and thought through that I can't wait to see what else she does. Social media star Bryce Hall is teaming up with writer-director Josh Stolberg for The Skill House. The film is set to be a dark satire about the world of social media and influence culture. The interesting part of this story to me is this next little bit, though. The film will be the first to be financed on the ESX, 
which is a sort of crowdsourcing meets the stock market. It seems like you can buy shares into the movie and that will get you different perks like walk-on roles they're saying or cast meeting set meets or executive producer credits like they have a whole list of things that they say buying these different shares will get you in the game it's interesting to me that like a lot of things entertainment horror is the first one to run down that new path of whatever it be in entertainment horror loves to lead the way so we'll see if this is one of the things that works out or not and the next story might be my favorite of the week crimes of the future got not one but two trailers there was a u.s and an international trailer and if you want to watch them it really just you really need to decide like how much do you want to see because the international trailer feels like it tells a story a little more than the U.S. trailer. The U.S. trailer is very vague, very ambiguous. It confirms that we will be seeing its premiere at the 75th Cannes Film Festival. The official summary from Neon reads as such, as the human species adapts to a synthetic environment, the body undergoes new transformations and mutations. With his partner Caprice, Saul Tenser, celebrity performance artist, publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs in an avant-garde performance. Timlin, an investigator for... Um, the National Organ Registry obsessively tracks their movements, which is when a mysterious group is revealed. Their mission? To use Saul's notoriety to shed light on the next phase of human evolution. All of this news, the synopsis, these trailers, coupled with last week's news about how shocking the film is and how upsetting the last 20 minutes of it, it are, has me very excited. I love David Cronenberg. I'm ready for this. I was, I kind of never thought we were going to get a really deeply weird Cronenberg film again. And I am glad that that is not the case. This looks strange. Please put this in front of my eyeballs, even if I mean I'm watching it through my fingers. Double Bind is an Irish horse film directed by Ian Hunt Duffy in his directorial debut. It's written by Dasha... McGarry and is starring and is starring Pollyanna McIntosh. The film follows participants in a drug story who have become trapped in a lab after the trial results go very wrong. I love all the Irish horror we are getting. I don't know where this boom is coming from, but it is great. We have gotten several very good Irish horror films in the last couple years and I hope we continue to see the partnership that's bringing these to the United States continue because they're all very disturbing in a quiet way. And I love it. Love it. Can't wait to see this. Never Hike Alone has been fully funded. The Friday the 13th fan film hit $150,000 on Indiegogo two days before the campaign was scheduled to close. Vince Disani assures us that work has already begun. They've had a table read, they've scouted most of their locations, and they're hoping to start filming this summer and release in the fall. He's super proud of how far the team has grown since the first film, and I can't wait to see what the they're doing. Never Hike Alone is such a great testament to how much love there is in the Friday the 13th fandom, and it's sad that things like Never Hike Alone and Never Hike Alone 2 are probably the only way we're going to see Friday the 13th film content for a while, maybe ever again. I don't know. I think how hungry people are for this 
really should say something to the rights holders to get their shit together and get us a new Friday the 13th movie. Godam Anthology gets a sequel. The Korean urban legend and everyday horror anthology Godam is getting a sequel on Netflix later this year. The eight films are by Hong Won Kin, and you can check out the first anthology streaming now on Netflix. These are all very normal horror. I don't know how to describe it better than that. It's not like it's not like ghost stories or that. It's like, I mean, a little bit is, but like with the urban legends, but it's all like everyday things that are scary. Like there's a crazy dentist in one and the dentist is terrifying. So dental horror movies always get me. So I'm excited to see this when it hits Netflix. The next two stories are shocking. They came in right on the line of whether they were going to make it this week or not. They both have to do with Lionsgate. So I guess we got to talk about it. Lionsgate wants to relaunch the Blair Witch Project. I can't believe it's been six years since Adam Wingard surprised all of us with a Blair Witch reboot. The Ankler is reporting that Liongate is looking to relaunch the entire franchise. So that really brings up what's up with the, what's up with the original creators of the series. Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez haven't had any creative input on the films that followed their breakout hit but they are really down to play around in the world again if Lion Gates choose so. They basically were like, hey, we're waiting. Just call us. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about my Twitter timeline blowing up with fans of the franchise, throwing out the name of horror fan, horror community creator. He's got a great clubhouse on Thursdays for horror if you haven't checked it out. Uh, he's also the, the writer of the smash hit host, Jed Shepard. I like could not agree more with everybody on Twitter <laughs> about something, which is something you will not catch me saying very often. He has a great perspective on what modern horror can be and use of technology. I think he's one of the people who has really figured out how to make technology scary. And I think that that's something that any iteration of the Blair Witch going forward is going to have to contend with. So he feels like a perfect person to bring Blair Witch into this era of horror. I'd love to see that happen. I'd also love to see Daniel Myricks and Edward Sanchez get a crack at it if that's what they want too. Either of those two choices would be great. Why not figure out a way to do both? And the other Lionsgate uh, news is another relaunch request. Uh, Lionsgate wants to relaunch the Leprechaun franchise. The studio is looking to add a ninth film to the series. Bloody Disgusting is reporting that Liongate is actively looking for pitches. Um, Lionsgate. If you've ever been on Twitter, you know that Darren Lynn Bozeman wants to make a, a Leprechaun movie. He said it in a ton of interviews when anyone ever asks him what the series he wants to make that he hasn't got to make yet. They're like, he's Leprechaun. He's always said Leprechaun. Could we just let this man make a Leprechaun movie already? And that does it for movies. We've just got two quick hits and home releases this week. Uma, the Sandra O horror movie, is headed to Blu-ray on May 24th and also out on May 24th. And a perfect segue into our feature film is our feature film, X Heads to Blu-ray on May 24th. The special features include... And that X Factor featurette and extended scenes of the farmer's daughter. We went through the news. That's the news. Now it's time to talk about our feature film of the week. 2022's 
X, directed by Ty West, starring Mia Goth, Jenny Ortega, Martin Henderson, Brittany Snow, Owen Campbell, and Kid Cudi. The film follows a group of pornographic filmmakers and their quest to make the next Des Debbie Does Dallas. This film is not what I thought it was going to be going in. I don't know quite what I thought it was going to be going in. I think I thought it may have a more ghost, like otherworldly quality to it, like a ghost story. But to find out that it is straight up an old lady fucking murdering people was great. Like all of Ty West's movie, this movie really gives you time to sit and bake with both the protagonists and the antagonists before the antagonist starts their mayhem. I am shocked. When I was doing research for the film after I had watched it, I found out that Mia Goth plays both the main protagonist, Maxine Minx, great fucking porn name. Uh, she also plays Pearl, the murderous antagonist. And there are scenes where both of them are together and they're shot in such a great way that you don't know that it's the same person. Finding that out after writing the journey that is this film was, was special. I really enjoyed that, considering how much Pearl thinks of herself as Maxine. So the film starts out in a strip club, and I think that it does a really great job of not romanticizing, like, the back area of a strip club. It just feels, like, very, like, the back room of any, like, theater, theatrical performance. I really do enjoy how this strip club is set in the middle of oil refineries outside of Houston, Texas. Like the sky is matte painted, I think. It is a matte painting of the oil refineries and this little tiny strip club that you know is just full of oil refinery workers on after their shifts. This band of strippers and the guy who owns the strip club are bound and determined to make the next Debbie Does Dallas. Just that concept of people for a horror film, I think is great because it really, it takes out a lot of the weird tropes that are wrapped around sex in a horror film. <laughs> if you're filming a porn, like it's just very smart way to handle it. I think the film and the marketing of the film does a really good job of misdirecting you who is the final girl of this film. I think they think you they build you up through the film to think that Jenny Ortega is going to be the, the final girl, but she just gets chumped out at some point. I think it also does a really good job with uh, Jenny Ortega's character, which I think is named Lorraine. Yeah, it is Lorraine. Uh, Lorraine is like the prude. And then she really wants to be a part of the, the shoot. And like that becomes a real point of contention between her and her boyfriend, RJ. And it really highlights to me, like it, it's okay for RJ to be doing this, but it's not okay for her to want to be an active participant in it. he's okay, It's okay for him to be an active participant by telling people how to do it and how to set up the shots and, and being a part of it in that way. But when she wants to see if there's like liberation in it for her, he's not okay with that. RJ is the first one to die, which is also, I think, fitting. But let me backtrack. 
So this ragtag group of pornography film makers ends up at this very picturesque farm in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And like, again, you will not catch me in the middle of nowhere of Texas. Horror movies have taught me don't hang out there. The guy who is the owner of the farm named Howard is kind of an asshole from the jump. Like uh, Wayne is the producer and the owner of the strip club. He's like getting out of the car and he's like, I'm going to get ready to, uh, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to go like let him know we're here and figure out where we're going and all of that. And like the first thing Howard does is pull a gun on him. Uh, what? <laughs> Calm down, dude. He, and like, before he even gets to like say like, hey, what's up? He's like already got the gun on him. So that starts out a little tense. Everyone in the car is kind of freaking out a little bit about it, but everything calms down. Um, Howard's like, could you guys just be like respectful? My wife is next door at her main house because they're staying in the guest house where they're going to shoot the film. But Howard doesn't know what they're doing. Wayne Wayne tells Lorraine at one point, it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. So he doesn't know what's going on. The, he leads them into the house. Howard is under the impression that it would just be Wayne by himself. And Wayne gives him extra money to sweeten the deal. They go about their way. They start shooting the film. They get everything set up and Maxine wanders off, which is, I don't understand exactly why she thought it was okay to wander off, but she did. She just wanders off and finds a lake, like a swimming hole, like a little pond in the, in their backyard behind the guest house. And so she strips down, jumps in and is just hanging out in water. And in one of the best uses of a drone shot I've ever seen, we find a crocodile who stalks Maxine as she goes across the lake. And like, it's so perfectly timed of her like swimming and to get there. And like, you literally think she's almost about to get eaten. And it really sets up the foreshadowing of those fucking crocodiles. They're coming. But I just think tension in that scene and then not paying it off right away really makes you think like, oh God, so, like you're through the whole rest of the film, you're thinking like those crocodiles are coming back. Someone's getting eaten by a crocodile. Maxine is coming back from the pond. She sees Howard's wife, who is named Pearl, on the porch and she waves at her and she kind of motions for her to come in the house. And so Pearl's just like, okay. And so Pearl goes into the house and it's this great um juxtaposition shot of the conversation part of a porn like oh well it's really hot out and my daddy won't be home like you know what i'm talking about like the conversation like bad acting part of a porn you see them both fill like a glass the same glass with lemonade but one is on the film set and one is in the house with Pearl and Maxine. Pearl starts expressing how sad she is about getting older and how jealous she is of Maxine for being young. And she makes a sexual advance towards her. Maxine is not about it. And she takes off out of the house. This sets up a chain of events, I think, that is maybe one of the best uses of women's sexuality in a horror movie that I've seen outside of like Teeth or Jennifer's Body. I really think there is an interesting question to ask yourself about this film is how weirded out or how upset you are by the fact that Pearl is still 
very sexual at the age that she is. I don't think that's something we talk about. Like there's a lot built into critiquing the world and Pearl's feelings of the expectation of the world on her through once she isn't pretty, once she isn't what would be genuinely considered sexual desirable, she becomes bitter old, like she becomes bitter and interned and violent. After the initial confrontation with Maxine and Pearl, Pearl sneaks out of the house and finds Maxine and Jackson in the middle of having sex for one of the scenes of the movie. And she watches through the farmhouse window, which then in turn leads her to plead with her husband to have sex with her and he says he can't claiming his heart's too weak and she forlornly goes back to the bed catching up to where i was talking about rj this is where the rj storyline really comes in he's making this film and acting like it's a serious piece of cinema instead of being just a porn and lorraine kind of points out to him that like dude it's a porn so rj gets mad that lorraine was unfaithful to him and wanted to be in this porn that he took her to and didn't do anything to stop them from calling her church mouse or antagonizing that she was a prude or perceive her as a prude, like did nothing to defend her during that whole part of it. But when she thinks about wanting to act in a way that would be against those kind of stereotypes of who she is he freaks out so i think it's a really interesting character with him and her i think that is like one of the more interesting like side plots he wanted her to be the virtuous sweet good girl but he didn't want to defend that point of view because it would make him also seem like a prude right like he wanted to be seen as cool and making this porn and okay with anything and down with it and yeah but then when it pushed came to shove that he'd have to back his words up with action, he was not as comfortable with it as he seemed. And that's fine. You don't have to be comfortable with it, but you should like be able to look and say, oh, I was projecting that I was comfortable with it. So he gets so mad that he decides he's going to leave in the middle of the night. That doesn't go so great because he runs into Pearl, who tries to come on to him. And then when he's like, uh, no. Uh, she stabs him to death in honestly one of the more artistic stabbing deaths we've seen in a slasher lately. I really enjoy that she gets him down and then once she's got him down, the splatter that happens is so like fantastical that it's like covering the lights on the car and making the, the lighting red. And so when she like sits up, she's just covered in blood and bathed in red light from the blood on the lights. Like it's such a beautiful shot, like cinematically. <laughs> so this starts off the killing portion of the movie and we're pretty far into the runtime at this point. I wish I had marked down when this had started, but we're pretty far into the runtime. The next one to get killed is Wayne. And this death was horrifying. Wayne is looking for RJ because 
Lorraine is like, he's missing. I need to find him. Where's RJ? We got to find him. What happened to him? He like got up in the middle of the night and he left. He didn't leave me, do you think? And she's freaking out. So Wayne's like, all right, let me go put my skivvies on and fucking do this. So he's running around in his underwear. He's going through the barn and he's like, come on, RJ. He's giving him a pep talk. He's like, it's not that bad. You're going to get over it, buddy. Like I've been through relationships and why do you think I have beautiful women around me? Like he gives him the rules of like how he's had a happy marriage and they're both kind of like stereotypical typical stupid shit. He then steps on a nail, which is terrifying. One of my top 10 fears, stepping on a nail. Just, mm, uh, no. Like I'm just shuddering and shivering thinking about that scene in the movie. When he hobbles over to the barn door to look out a peephole, he is pitchforked in the face by Pearl. Which like, girl, get it. You are a very elderly woman and you just pitchforked a man in the face. So pat yourself on the back, Pearl. Lorraine is running through the field, which like, like Howard had one request of all these folks, like, could you not bother my wife? Like, make sure you're whatever you're doing. Don't bother my wife. And Lorraine is just like running back and forth in between the field in front of her window in the middle of the night. Like, come on, girl, use your head. And so Howard invites her into the house and then asks her to go retrieve a flashlight from the basement. When she does... Uh, she goes downstairs and finds the corpse of another man who has been missing dead. He's just rotting down there. There's just like a dude hung up rotting in their basement, which is just gross. Howard is now like, where's Pearl? She's ran off. That's not great. She's probably going to break a hip. So he goes to the house to get Jackson to help him. They get to the lake and he's like, I don't see her. We're going to go around. He's like, they talk a little bit of marine talk to each other and you kind of feel like maybe they're coming to an understanding but that understanding does not last long because Howard corners Jackson after Jackson finds a submerged car in the pond and Howard corners him and is like you came here you and your friends upsetting arousing my wife upsetting my wife uh, and uh, then he shoots him straight in the chest one shot so howard is a hundred percent in the plot of murdering people too he's like doesn't see anything wrong with the way pearl is handling her growing old not gracefully he's just like fine if we have to murder people we have to murder people which i think is kind of endearing to howard and how much he loves pearl and it kind of makes me feel like she's a little bit of a brat that she doesn't <laughs> see that she can only quantify his love in is she pretty and there's even like a really touching scene which i think might be the next scene oh no no no! we've got a couple scenes but there's a scene coming up that's pretty touching between howard and pearl and it kind of also solidifies to me that society has broken poor pearl's brain and uh, it's sad that she can't see how much howard actually is devoted to her and loves her and think she's the best and maybe we will find out why that isn't the case in the upcoming prequel pearl after jackson is shot uh we find howard has somehow booked it back up to the house pretty quick to stop lorraine from escaping the basement he bludgeons her fingers with something i actually don't know what it is that he does it but she's like trying to hatch it out through the door and he like stops her from doing bobby lynn who i haven't really talked about a lot She's the main actress we see in The Farmer's Daughter. She is played exquisitely by Brittany Snow. Brittany Snow does a great job. There is even a point where Brittany Snow and Kid Cudi do a 
cover of Landslide, which is very like touching. And she's so about living for herself and not for anybody else that like, I really found her an endearing character. And like, she just seems like someone who is sweet and wants to help other people and not be judged by people and just live the life she wants to live because she realizes at one day she will be old and she won't be able to do all the things that she wants to do once she's old. So I really enjoy that she's like the polar opposite of Pearl in a way. The next scene is pretty sad. So we see we see Bobby Lynn walk out onto the dock of the lake where Pearl is and she's like hey like it's really not safe like you can't be in here can we get you away from the water and Pearl is just like you're a whore and she says all these horrible terrible things to her and Bobby Lynn's like listen like I'm sorry you didn't live the life you wanted to live or whatever this is but like I'm just trying to be nice could you please let me go by and Pearl pushes her into the water where she gets immediately devoured by that alligator that you knew was coming at some point. Um, I think they do a really good job because like Kid Cuddy's in the water, like digging through the water, looking for stuff. And you're like, oh, is he going to get eaten by the alligator? And he gets out fine. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe the alligator isn't a thing. And then like, boom, next couple shots, he hits you with uh, Bobby Lynn getting devoured by the alligator. It's a It's a good sustained payoff to that first shot. All right, so then we get to the scene where we're talking between Pearl and Howard. So an important point is Maxine has gone into the guest house and is hiding under the bed that this conversation is happening over. The couple is talking. So they start talking about the murders that have happened. And again, Pearl is just like, Howard, please have sex with me. Like, I just love you. And like, I just need this from you. And he's like, but what about my heart? And she's like, you'll be fine. It'll be fine. I promise it'll be fine. Nothing will go wrong. And she's not technically wrong. Um, so they get to the house. They I mean, they get, sorry, while they are doing it, uh, Maxine sneaks out of the room and she runs to the car. She finds a dead bot. I think it's RJ. Maybe it's Wayne. She finds one of them dead in the back of the van. I can't quite remember who. And then she's like, I'm going to get Lorraine. We're going to get out of here. We're going to make it out of this nightmare. I just have to get the keys. So she grabs the pistol from the glove box of the van. And she is coming in to get Lorraine, who is now like mad at Maxine. Like she's like, what? Like she like that part a little bit didn't make sense to me. She's like now mad at Maxine some for some reason about what has transpired. Like Maxine has anything to do with it. Like it's actually Pearl who's and and Howard who are being absolutely nuts. Not not Maxine. Howard shoots Lorraine with a shotgun and they are trying to move her back into the house uh, to make it look like the crew had broken into the house and Howard had to shoot them all. Well, Lorraine is not quite dead and she like lurches and like gurgles a little bit and it startles Howard and he has a heart attack and dies right there. Maxine grabs the keys to Howard and Pearl's truck. She tries to shoot Pearl and discovers that the pistol is just for show. And we had known that because Wayne tells Howard that he also keeps an unloaded pistol when Howard said the shotgun 
was unloaded, which was a lie. It was loaded um, in his truck. And so she tries to shoot her. It doesn't happen. Pearl shoots back from with the shotgun, but the blast throws her out at the house and she breaks her hip. Uh, Pearl dies, is dying from her in- broken hip outside. She's begging Maxine for help. Maxine refuses. Pearl is just berating her. Ending scene, the ending bit at the house in the horror movie before it jumps to the future is Maxine running over Pearl's head as she leaves. And she keeps saying things like, throughout this whole movie, she keeps saying like affirmative things to herself. Like, I am not going to live the life I don't deserve. Also throughout this whole movie, there has been televangelist broadcasts going on. The couple watches them when the cops are at the house looking at it, looking at the crime scene, it's on. And we find out that Maxine is the daughter of the conservative preacher who was running through the thing the whole time, which is an interesting tie-in. I, that's it. It ends with the scene with the cops wondering what's on the videotape there or what's on the film camera. They're going to be surprised. Yeah, that's Ty West's X. It's it's such an interesting film and it has a lot of interesting questions about women in society and usefulness of women in media once they are old. And I think that's cool. And we know that we're going to get more in the world of X. Uh, shot back to back during the pandemic was the prequel called Pearl. No word as to when uh, the prequel will be headed our way, but A24 produced the project. It was shown as a end credit footage for the North American release of X. So we also know that Ty West has said that there is a third movie. I thought I had read that, but I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, there is a third movie that is coming that will be set chronologically after the events and it will explore another subgenre horror and continue the depiction of cinema's influence on society and explore how the development of home video did so. West states viewers can watch each movie independently without having seen the previous films they are made to complement each other. Trying to build a world out of all of this like people do these days, you can't make a slasher movie without a bunch of sequels. And he's right. So that's Ty West's X. Uh, But that's it for this week's Is It Halloween Yet? You can find the podcast all over the internet at a Halloween club. There is a Discord. You can find that on our, a link to that on our website. Come on, hang out. Come talk about horror movies with me. Tell me what movies you want to see on the podcast. Uh, There's a Twitter. There's an Instagram where I post sneak peeks and in behind the scenes footage of me editing things and doing other things. It's a good time. You can follow me at Miss Nintendique. 64 all over the internet. I'm Spencer. I'm the ghostess. Thank you so much for coming and listening to it if you've gotten to this point. Uh, if you got a second, please give us a like or subscribe. Give us a like or a, um, not a like or subscribe. This isn't YouTube. Please give us a rating on iTunes. That really helps get the podcast out there and helps me be able to get news quicker and maybe possibly get screeners in the future so that I can watch movies and not go to the movie theater and get sick. So that's going to do it. You know what time it is. Sleep or don't. Super, super.